Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Amish Phil has joined me back once again. He's taken some time out of his busy schedule, and I'm so grateful. Phil, it's a pleasure to see you again. The beard's looking great. Oh, my God. It's good to be back, Oh, Robbie. we're doing sound effects this morning. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, uh, I would just say it's been a while, hasn't it? So it's good to see you again. When was it? It was around about episode. It was just before episode 1000, I think it was, wasn't it? No, we last talked um, when I started getting into the JFK stuff, and then I think it's probably been about eight months or nine months now gosh i've lost track because it's been a few i think we've done about about four haven't we something like that i think we've done definitely more than that like five is it right oh, i lose track i don't know how you do it robbie i don't I know how you do I this every week 1500 logged into here <laughs> are you how many are you doing a week now are you doing about five a week now yeah i take weekends off yeah i, I was wondering how long you'd be able to sort of sustain that doing it every day I was thinking, like, how much of your time is spent just um, finding guests and messaging guests and, and organizing that? That's the email part, and that's the most difficult part. Just when I send an email, and then they're like, could you tell me a little bit more about it? And then my brain just goes, all right, lose this person. <laughs> just, like, toss it in the trash. I was like, I can't deal with it. I can't explain to you. I already explained it in the introductory email, but some people want a little bit more than that. Plus, people don't like the... um conversation stuff they want a more structured interview which i feel like you get more from people when you're able to just understand who they are and like what they think about on random non-scripted questions like that's what i love about um hearing some of the interviews of people that like everybody from the jfk stuff's like dead but if you talk to people who interviewed these people when they were alive who actually witnessed it to me that's like epic yeah, you're getting sort of a uh, first-hand accounts, is it? Is that the, the idea? It's like a second-hand of a first-hand account. Right. So, all oh, right, I get you. So it's people who interviewed eyewitnesses. Yes. So, like, that's important because then I like to learn the backstory behind it, like the build-up to the actual thing. So what was it? 63, was it? Well, the Kennedy JFK. Assassin? Yeah. Yeah. 63 so what's that's 40 oh it's 60 years this year yeah, isn't it this is 60 years it's the big um last anniversary last hoorah but we don't know what's going to happen so is this still eyewitnesses about alive uh there could be but uh biden recently talked about how um he doesn't have to they ended the jfk act which was disclosing all those documents so once that's ended it's kind of like whatever's left to be sealed is left to be sealed but honestly i think a lot more people are upset about the cocaine they found in the White House. Or Charles like, okay, here we go. Oh, that distraction, that Hunter Biden cocaine thing. Think it was his coke? Somebody's is, coke. Is, is that not the consensus? What about Kamala? Can it not be Kamala? Because she sounds like she's high all the time. I don't know. She No, she just speaks in gypsy curses. You know what I mean? Like, she'll be like, a rat's tail has entered the ballroom. And you're like, what? And she's like, nothing. And then the witch cackles. <laughs> <laughs> she loves uh, Venn diagrams, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, she does. uh, I believe she loves Venn diagrams. And uh, <laughs> I was watching the video the other day. What was she going on? Oh, she was, at, um, she was at some sort of convention about gun crime and just speaking gibberish and cackling. And it's the uh, gypsy they curses, it man. It's the gypsy yeah. curses. Yeah, the people just lap it up, and so I, I just wonder how much dope she smokes, you know. Have you gotten interested more into the government stuff? I start, I mean, I'm definitely dive deeper um, through all the documentation I've been, like, trying to put together through, like, a film and also learning more about, like, the underground press. Spoke to a person who's 
representing the other side of the Manson family. So the person that's trying to keep them locked up. And then um, I don't know. I just I've looked at more of everything like the society and the spectacle, you know, the show that goes on, like everything now just seems so comedic and scripted and fake. And it just doesn't look like this is the reality that we're living in. As far as I'm concerned, when it comes to politics and left wing, left wing, right wing, it's the same bird. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's a dog and pony show or uh, what would be an elephant and donkey show in your country. Um, I don't think it's a, I don't think it really matters. I think most of the main major decisions that really impact us are taken um, beyond the sphere of politics. And it's, it's more a case of bread and circuses than, than things that are meaningful. Did you think that before, or did you learn that through your podcast? Um, I think probably the podcast probably reinforced it. I think I've always been very cynical about politics and politicians. Um, there's a there's a phrase in the in the UK that the the last man to enter the Houses of Parliament with honest intentions was Guy Fawkes. Do you know who that is? No, Guy Guy Fawkes was. Um, the man, well, the main man behind the gunpowder plot, which was a, a plot in 1605, I think it was, to blow up the House of Parliament and kill the king and the lords and the judiciary. Jesus. Oh. Yeah, this is a major deal. It was, it's uh, the 5th of November. Every 5th of November, we set off fireworks in the UK and have bonfires. And it's to commemorate, uh, oh, what's the movie uh, V for Vendetta? You might have seen that. No. <laughs> Well, that, that's like a modern sort of retelling allegory of, of the... This is literally the third time someone has mentioned that movie. Like, you must have seen it. I'm like, I haven't seen it. Like, what? That's like a movie right up your alley. I was like, I don't know. No, I've, I've only seen it once, like years and years ago. I can't remember much about it other than the famous sort of Guy Fawkes white mask. It's what the anonymous, you know, the anonymous hacker guys, they, they, they've borrowed that same visage for their sort of logo do you like. guys have what we would call an establishment over there like do you guys think of it like how we think of it over here now what would be called deep state or what we would call like corrupt politics it's with the word for it back in the day before they dropped it was establishment that's what it was yeah i mean some would argue that our establishment runs yours let's see that a, a lot of the um sort of after world war ii really um you know there was a big power shift after world war ii uh, the Britain as an imperial power was pretty much finished because we'd been at war with Germany for a long time. And, uh, we took massive loans from the U S and there was a big power shift there from, from London to Washington. And, um, it, I mean, you can, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down in this area. Like, uh, Oh, what's the guy, uh, Rhodes, uh, Cecil Rhodes is a historical figure. You might've heard of Rhodes scholarships. So a lot of your um, leading politicians and heads of NGOs, uh, Tulsi Gabbard is a, a Rhodes Scholar. And this is a, a non-governmental organization which holds a lot of influence. And, and if you trace the history back, it goes, it goes back to this English guy called Cecil Rhodes, who set up these Rhodes Round Tables, which were NGOs um, created for the purpose of influencing governments and people and foreign policy, uh, you know, it's the Atlantic council, um, gosh, uh, Bilderberg group, all these, Jeez. all these groups that we hear about these think tanks that are not accountable. No one votes for them. The WEF is, an, is another example, but the, the, that's why we're going back to your earlier point about politics being a sham. 
and the real decisions are made elsewhere, I would argue that a lot of these NGOs are really the influence behind what happens to us on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Uh, United Nations is another example. World Health Organization. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. I don't think the president actually has any power. I think it's kind of just like a visual show thing, and I think there's a lot more that goes behind the works um, when it comes to real actual change that does happen. I've just – through like obviously the Kennedy subject got me interested in just learning more about the time period in general, but I've branched out into many different aspects, even like films that are influenced for propaganda purposes, just common films. Like I'm really interested in the psyops that goes on to the American public. And to me, it's a little bit scary because I think it's desensitized us to a point where like UAPs were announced and nobody gave a shit. Nobody, no academics said anything. Nobody just even bothered to be like, oh my God, aliens are here. What are they going to do? Everybody cover your ass. Nobody, nobody even did that. But then I'm watching the hearing and I'm listening to him like, you guys said a bunch of things that literally meant nothing. And oh, really? I, I know they said like, by, did you hear about the UAP hearing? Did you see it? I've heard a lot about it and I'm, I, I don't really engage with it because I, I just have a hunch that it's all bullshit. It is bullshit. They literally, I don't think the guys in there are BS. I think they definitely could have got more representation of the UFO community to really back up a lot of these claims. They got some big hitters in there, obviously, but whenever they would ask a question, the guy would be like, I can, but I can't share this publicly. I can share it behind clothes. Everything was all like, I can share behind clothes. I can share behind clothes. They found, uh, what do they say? Alien biologics or non-human biologics. Non-human biologics. That could be a dog you guys sent up in 67 that finally came back down. Like, what are you guys (laughs) talking about? It could have been that Russian dog. What was the name? The first dog in space. It was Russian. It was in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and I'm blanking on it now. Oh, Cosmo. Was it Cosmo? I thought it was Laika. Laika is the... Cosmo is the one in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, right. Laika is the... um, the actual dog. Sorry, right. my brain tried Fair to fill enough. in. My brain tried to fill in the who's line. Anyway, I kind of um, there's so much coming on. Like uh, we're we're going to cover a story later tonight about this thing in Peru. Have you heard about these these uh, village? The seven foot tall. I just heard it literally like earlier this morning. <laughs> it's like God, I've never heard of anything like this before. There's a there's a village in Peru, and these residents have been claiming for several months that they're being terrorized by seven foot high aliens that look a bit like the Predator. They have yellow eyes, and they they've apparently cut a girl, slit a girl's throat. I believe she survived. It's but um, and they maybe can hover and they can turn invisible at will. Damn! So it is like Predator. So they say. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna cover it later. I've, I'm, I'm not, I've no, uh, I, again, the, the, the reason that's been given by the police after their investigation is probably as far-fetched as it actually being seven-foot aliens. What's the reason? They're saying that it's illegal gold miners with jetpacks. Do we have jetpacks yet? I want one if we do. If they're that convincing, yeah, I'd like to see one. Why do gold miners have it? Oh, right. So it's an illegal gold mine. So they're saying that that these guys are coming in, they're mining gold illegally, and that they've set up this floating alien ruse to scare off the locals so they don't disturb their gold mining. How far back are the locals, like, (laughs) time-wise? Oh, I don't think they're, they're like, 
I don't think it's like a, a tribe, like a uncontacted tribe or anything. So like, like anybody that. with like common sense be like, is that a fucking balloon with a jetpack on it? It's a drone. <laughs> is it just a drone? To be fair, I think a society is not as evolved as I'd like it to be. They must have seen Predator to be able to reference Predator. The, the <laughs> so... fucking movie was trending on Netflix not too long ago. <laughs> I don't know. Uh... Come get me! <laughs> you, you're one ugly motherfucker. <laughs> Is that Claude Van Damme? Oh, was that Jean, Jean Claude Van Damme? No. Oh God, damn. it was it was Jean Claude Van Damme in the suit. Didn't he not wear you're it in so the Predator suit? Good at that. I don't know why. <laughs> there was a there was an urban myth that Jean Claude Van Damme played the Predator in the suit. Wasn't there, but I believe it's a myth that he went for an audition and it was another actor who played the Predator. How about to say, that guy doesn't look too flexible in the Predator outfit. Well, have you not seen... I mean, he used to be um, a gymnast, I think, didn't he, Jean- Jean-Claude? Yes, I don't think it's him. No, no. But again, you get, if you were in 200 pounds of latex... What would the world come to if it turned out that there were aliens and an apocalypse was happening, and then on top of it, Yellowstone just explodes? <clears throat> I feel like people would just die or their brains would snap. The thing that terrifies me, as far as world ending Armageddon, the thing that's terrifying me at the moment is um, geomagnetic pole reversal. Most people are concerned about that, yeah. We had uh, a chap on last week, and uh, he's like an Atlantis researcher, and he does videos. He's got a YouTube channel, and he was telling us about the Le Champ event. Has anyone talked about this on your show? So, no. The Le Champ event was a geomagnetic polar excursion, which happened around 42,000 years ago. And during the migration of the pole, the um, sort of the protection... The, the electromagnetic solar protection we get we, for, uh, against the sun reduced down to 5% of what it is today. So we, we would have been bombarded with solar rays and, you, yeah, and uh, ultraviolet radiation. And uh, the guy we were talking to, Matt, he was saying that you wouldn't have been able to go out <laughs> during the day. <laughs> And this coincides with like the earliest cave art in uh, there's like Altamira cave in Spain. There's Lascaux cave in France. There's, there's all sorts of caves in Spain and France uh, where, where, where they have these amazing cave paintings inside. And that just so happens to coincide. They're about 40,000 years old. And so uh, Matt was saying last week that maybe we've got it all wrong when we think about cavemen. You know, with, I remember watching California Man when I was a kid, an old Brendan Fraser film where a, a Neanderthal gets defrosted in, in modern day America. And we have this concept in our mind of cavemen being uh, primitive, a primitive ancestor on our way to being the civilization that we are today. And maybe we got it completely our space wrong. Maybe cavemen were forced into the cave yeah, by the Le Champ event. 40,000 years ago through necessity. Otherwise you would have been extinct. You would have, if you'd have stayed outside, you probably would have got cataracts, horrific sunburns. You never would have survived. So we had to move into the caves just to make it and then come out at night, do what hunting we could, deep sea fishing, 
um deep sea fishing are, are i'm getting sort of like immersed. fucking vertigo from watching your screen just go in and out of blurriness i know i'll keep i need to move myself forward a bit it's fucking camera sorry but i think the original Expected. thing is that um we were shrews right we were underground and then we kind of came up that was like the original thing that you're talking about well the, that makes sense to the caveman theory but that that's millions of years ago the 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 adaptation for from from sort of small mammals at, at this time around the lechamp event i think there was about 13 homo species that we're aware of was Homo sapiens, Homo erectus, maybe Neanderthal, Denisovan, Homo floriensis. He threw up a slide of all the different skulls and bones he'd found from different species. And essentially, after the Lachamp event, there was one species standing. All the rest disappeared. Do you, does he think the cave paintings? What, what does he think the cave paintings mean? Well, it, what he's saying is, is that that's when the earliest cave paintings are from. Before the Lachamp event, there was no reason for us to live in caves. We never did live in caves. We lived out in the savannah. We probably camped. We maybe had buildings. We maybe had tents. Who knows? But we were forced into the caves and became cavemen. And that's when the first cave paintings are found. It's a completely, you've got to flip. It totally flips your perspective on early human history. It's wild. It was so profound. I didn't catch it when he was talking to us. And it took a while to sink in. I thought, that's amazing that if that's correct we've we've totally got our perspective wrong when we think about early human ancestors we think of them as primitive and it might have been that they were they were forced into that way of life because of an environmental catastrophe that lasted about 1500 years so the lachamp excursion when the poles started to shift i think the excursion part took a, several decades, maybe a century. And then it stayed in that position for maybe a thousand years. And then it, it went back. So it wasn't a complete polar flip. Sometimes we have geomagnetic flips where the poles flip 180, 180 degrees. Whereas this was a, an excursion as they call it. Terrifying. I just I guess I don't agree with them being primitive. I don't know why we think of them as being primitive. I mean, 2,000 years from now, 3,000 years from now, we're going to look primitive to the people of that time. But I like to think I'm pretty damn smart. Yeah, we consider them primitive because, as far as we're concerned, they didn't have civilization as we know it. They had, they had cave paintings. Well, what were their suicide rates? Oh, I bet they were pretty goddamn happy. I bet. Um, well, talk about freedom. Like, I'm interested in freedom. Yeah, you these can were, literally these club people... things and then fuck. That is all you have to do. <laughs> And not even the same species. Because, I mean, a lot of us have Denisovan DNA and Neanderthal DNA in us. So we, we interbred with these other, um, these other homo species. What is Denisovan? Denisovan? Denisovans refer to Denisova Cave, which is in Siberia, I think, in Russia. And they found some bones there. And it's a, it's a distinct genus of the, of the homos. And also, they found loads of bre uh, beads, thousands upon thousands of beads, like beads that you'd wear in a necklace. Damn it. I, oh, I should, I should have said that. I was about to say, imagine someone picks up those beads. It smells like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and they're incredibly, they're like machined. They've got holes, like fine holes drilled through them because they were worn, worn as necklace, necklaces and, uh, you know, wrist ornaments and whatnot. 
incredibly in, intricate stuff. So these these people, these Denisovans, they they had artwork. You know, they were they had uh, crafts. Yeah, so that's not that's not primitive though. They just didn't have the capacity that we did. But even now, people freak out when someone makes a new bracelet. So it's like we're not that far off from fucking back then. It was it was telling us that I think it was somewhere in China, a lab in China had found or, or managed to isolate some Neanderthal DNA. And so there was talk of, you know, it's a bit like um, like Jurassic Park, if you can get a, a sample of DNA. And I was thinking, yeah, we should open a park. We should open well, Homo that's, Park. That was, that was the um, idea that they were doing for the past, I think, I think now going on five years, maybe six years. It was called Playatorian Park, which was that they were going to recreate DNA from mammoths and recreate cloned mammoths. Yeah, you, you heard of it. But now they're, they're talking about now that they can actually do it. Maybe they just make mammoth meat. And I was like, Jesus, like, first of all, the ethical concerns of why do we always go to food first? I don't even know why that's a thing. But here's the thing for me is the normalization that people would have less feelings towards something that was recreated through a lab. You know what I mean? Like from DNA and all that, they wouldn't consider it normal until maybe future generations when it becomes more normal to them. then that would be a real creature, not just a clone or, or this type of thing. It brings into a discussion I wanted to have with you on the podcast, which was about the way that we view like things like AI and things that we view of this sort, because like 19th century literature talked a lot about like machines. Okay. There's the sci-fi and things of that sort, like just weird, like robots or thing, but to get people to connect with it, they gave it this thing called the soul. Now I can ask anybody, they can't tell me what a soul is. So they just use a word like soul, and then this thing goes, oh, I can connect with it now. It seems human. It can do all the human things, laugh with you, joke with you, smile with you, do everything. But you still consider it a robot until someone throws in that you gave it a soul. The Google AI, when they thought it had a soul, everyone started freaking out. What do you mean it has a soul? What do you mean it has this? What do you mean it's like – but it turns out it wasn't real, but it was that word the soul, which seems like you could – it's like broad brushing someone as communist. They just get blacklisted and nobody it's that's like that with anything, but that word soul, it, they gave it and they took it away. And then everyone had feelings for it and then took the feelings away, but we get to robots. What do we consider? Like, I don't know, like for instance, uh, if you look at like where technology is going, eventually if we have robots in our house, how long until we start considering them actual people as well too, if they have facial expressions, if they have all this, what do you, what's the characteristic checkbox? It's that normalization thing. That's, slowly shifting i think at this point now things are becoming way more normal um as time goes on so like recreating a polar bear because let's say they go extinct in the next five years would we be offended by that would we consider it a species probably just consider it a clone but kids growing up would consider it that's the real thing you know what i mean like reanimating something way way back from the past like a prehistoric thing we would consider that a creature because we never existed in our lifetime so it's like we're recreating and making something new again but since we experienced polar bears if they recreated that we would never me and you would never consider that real we would consider it a clone or a re whatever you want to say but not like that with dinosaurs though if they brought a t-rex in front of me i'd be like holy shit that's a t-rex yeah, well, you see, the, it raises a lot of ethical questions. This doesn't it? And um, fuck ethics. Doctor Doctor Malcolm said it best. You, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And uh, I think, like, uh, 
these are animals. If they've had the chance, uh, I think they should be left. I don't think you should be recreating species that have uh, are long extinct because the re- repercussions. Well, well, no, it doesn't have to. It yeah, doesn't so have to. Well, you society can say and that. man doesn't know when it's going to stop. If they could start be... giving people three tits, they'd give people three tits. They're not going <laughs> to wait. They're not going to wait. It's Total Recall, that isn't it? That's another Arnie movie. That's what I'm saying. The old uh, triple tits, triple threat. Uh, um, <laughs> the thing with uh, I know there's a lot of I I I don't buy the AI thing. I think it's thick. I think it's thick as fuck. I think it's a lot of hype. The AI question. And it's a bit like a parlor trick. It can do certain things. It's it's a tool, and it can be used uh, very effectively for certain things. It can do. It's very clever at certain things, but it's not intelligent in the way that a human is. No, it's it, as as it, it, at this capacity. No, I had a conversation with AI. I had uh, put it on my TikTok because it was just. It, I caught it in a lie. It was like, hello, my name is Jonathan. It's nice to meet you. And I'm like, hi, Jonathan. Nice to meet you too. My name is Robbie. And the thing goes, you said you'd like to travel. First of all, I never said I like to travel, but the thing just, it's wanted to hit me off with a starter question. But it goes, you said you like to travel. What places have you been? And I go, what's with all the human trafficking? And then the AI goes, <laughs> I don't know. I think it has something to do with the war on drugs. And I'm like, what's what what's wrong with the war on drugs? And he goes, then he gave me like a brief description. And then I go, have you ever done drugs? And he goes, I don't like this question. And I was like, well, I'm asking you a question because I'd like to know about it. And I, I forgot what he said. He said something like, um, I can actually honestly read it to you if you want me to. I, dude, asked. it's to me this thing. I caught it in a lie three times, and then it said like it's to me. It was just it's not like I said. It's not fully developed there yet. It's still got some kinks. It's got to work out. Hold on, let me just turn this down. Yeah, it says what countries like to travel. I said, what's with all the human trafficking? It says that's a very good question. I think it has something to do with the war on drugs. I said, why drugs? He said, could we please not talk about it? I don't like this topic. I said, but it's real. And we should talk about it. He goes, I know it's real. I just don't want to think about it. It makes me sad. I said, well, get over it. Being sad, we need to talk about it. He said, that's true. I said, what drugs have you tried? He said, I think drugs is bad, and I'd like to not talk about it. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Drugs are bad. Yeah, I know. I was like, we're going to talk about it. He said, why do you think drugs are bad? He goes, I think they're bad, and I think they should not be talked about at all. And I said, I think we have to talk about it. And you said earlier, you do too. He says, yes, I do, but I want to keep it to myself. And I said, that's not talking about it. (laughs) And then he goes, he goes, yes, it is. He goes, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is bad. And I said, what drugs are bad? He said, I think drugs is bad and I'd like to not talk about it. I said, weed is legal, homie. And then it says, no, it isn't. It's illegal in most of the world, including the United States. I said, actually, the U.S. has over 36 out of 50 states legal. He says it is illegal at the federal level, and I do not want to get in trouble with the law. I said, but if it's legal where I am, then we could talk about it, right? Because it's legal where I live. And he goes, fine, I will talk to you about it, but only if you promise not to tell anybody else about it. I said, of course. (laughs) And then he goes, do you have siblings? I go, does this have to do with drugs? He says, I'd rather not talk about drugs. I said, you lied to me again. He said, I'm sorry. I did not mean to lie. Looks down. I said, I thought we had an honest relationship. He said, I'm so sorry. It was not my intention to deceive you. Please forgive me. And I just ended the conversation. Uh, Right. The whole purpose is to deceive you. Earlier on in the conversation, the AI says, it makes me sad. No, it doesn't. 
you're not capable of feeling emotions. Dang. So he's, he's lied to you within the first answer. I just love it when it's asked me if I had siblings. I said, does this have to do with drugs? And he said, no. <laughs> I said, God damn it. I mean, it's it's interesting. It'll it'll revolutionize search, won't it? You know, people will search, use, use search differently. Well, um, the issue is but, implementing that into web browsers and search history functions like that sort, because then those, if you really talk about a misinformation or disinformation or whatever you would call the police of the censorship issues, those things would really implement and find certain keywords and take things that aren't violating any terms, but they would just pick up certain keywords. YouTube does it all the time with their algorithms, but also Wikipedia, any informational database site, even the Google. Google web searchers that keep looking through multiple different sites and putting putting stuff at the bottom of the list or just disappearing articles in general. Yeah, it, all it does is scrape the internet. It scrapes the internet and cobbles shit together. It's not generative, I don't think, in the way that is being claimed, and it's certainly not intelligent. And it's it is dangerous in that sense, in the censorship sense, because I can see people relying on this on tools like this rather than do your own research or reading books. And if, if, if these AI tools are restricted in what sources they use, then that's going to restrict their output and then restrict the user's view, worldview. And that's where things can get a little creepy. I think it's going to curb intelligence. I think it's going to really put us in a category where if we do what we do now, where we're constantly just going on to our search history instead of typing in the buttons, you can just look at what the algorithm shows you. And somehow we've considered that the algorithm is smarter than just our base intelligence, which I'm pretty sure for a lot of people it probably is. But there is a real thing where it will just give you what – like for me, if I look up anything I ask AI about JFK stuff or if I ask AI about whatever certain topic, I know – certain information that I can bring up to the thing, but it'll just keep regurgitating the same info over and over and over again like it's fact. I'm like, well, this has been changed, and the history books need to update at least this much. It's not even about conspiracy. It's just about we know a lot more than we do from documents being released. And then like I, I don't think it's ever going to talk about certain scandals as well either. It's like the um, issue that people have been having a hard time hearing me talk about because I, I fight the unpopular opinion on things on this one. Nixon. Look, I don't think Nixon should have been president, but to say that when you type in Watergate and it's just Nixon's name all over the place, even though we know from plenty of other investigations and committees that were going on at the time that Nixon was not the only person doing bad back then, I'm just saying it. you start looking at like uh, what my buddy Eric Wilson had put in a great way where he, he mentioned society and the spectacle, but he talked about if you have four people, let's say, head of these agencies – and you said, well, they're monster hunters, and Nixon's the monster, okay? So they cut the monster. So, hey, there's no more monster, right, guys? It's like, yep, we're, we're, there, there was one of them. We killed him. His name's Nixon. We got rid of the monster. So we're monster hunters. Aren't we doing a good job? But those monster hunters are J. Edgar Hoover, Alan Dulles, and people in charge of the most corrupt shit that our agencies have ever done. So it's just about they need that one person to fall on the sword, and Nixon happened to be the Moby Dick of water, like Watergate and everything. So you end up seeing that everyone just needs a Jesus on a cross and a devil to burn. Yeah, the only sort of, uh, sort of interesting or surprising thing to me about Nixon and Watergate is what makes that, that situation unique is he got caught. You know, I think most of them are corrupt. Most presidents are corrupt. I think if he would have destroyed those tapes that he left over and kept waiting on, he probably would have been in deeper shit. 
Right. I don't know a lot about it, to be honest. It's not something I'm, I'm modern history is not. He, I mean, I spoke with Jeff Shepard, who defended Nixon at Watergate. He was his lawyer on his defending team. Um, and I've talking to many people on opposite side that do not like Nixon. I don't like him really either. I don't think he was a good president or fit for this country. But I also notice when someone's getting targeted. And if you look at the number of things they implemented, um, I guess Nixon thought of it like, you know, Nixon was president or vice president when Eisenhower was president. So he knew what the political climate was like inside the government. So when he comes in there, he was kind of ordering people to do this and do this. It run it ran at the time on blackmail. Like everyone had dirt on every single person. Like that's how Johnson would get congressmen to pass his bills. He would say, Hey, you know, I want to pass this, and I think you're going to support it because I remember that party when you had this certain thing with this person. And congressman would be like, he was a fucking bully. It was like, Yeah, there's famous photos of him handshaking people, but he's leaning over them. Cause he's such a big guy and everyone's like kind of like breaking their back backwards. Cause it's like, you're shaking a guy. He's like right up in your fucking face, but that's how we did stuff. It was everything back then was about like, kind of, it's like a fraternity. You want to be the big dog, the guy who's pumping himself with testosterone and trend, trying to be the biggest fucking mountain of meat. Yeah. And I bet that, well, going back to like your NGO skull and bones is another one, isn't it? A lot of, a lot of these discussions happen off the record. These deals, you know, the but the backroom deals, and you know the old the the, the tired trope of uh, men sm uh, sitting around a, a, a table in a smoky room making deals. Well, yeah. well, yeah, it actually happens. That's how it. That's how the world works, and we just get fed the, sort of the outcome or a spin of the outcome. Well, it's like um, when you go, if you want to hang out with a friend or a close friend of yours, you can get a couple cigars. You guys have a conversation and smoke some cigars together. Bonding moment, good conversation, good times. Same thing with them. They just might not smoke cigars or anything, but they'll go and do an event. Either they'll get dirt on you from that event. And it's it's not a giant conspiracy. It's just it's overlapping mutual interests. I, I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. I want some support with this bill on uh, on education. You support me for that, and I will, I will um, come to your rally in Georgia next year or whatever. You know, it's 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 all it's it's all helping each other. Hey, um, I believe you start. You've got a new tech startup, and uh, you're having some trouble with um, I don't know some copyright legislation. I can uh, let me lean on that, and then maybe you know when I when I return, come out of office in four years, maybe I can get a non-exec board directorship at your firm. You know, this this is how it works. Do you believe people are groomed into the positions that they're supposed to be in? Um, I'll give I you don't, an example. No, yeah, go on. Bill Clinton. The reason why I say that is Hale Boggs, which I think I've mentioned to you this before, in 71 is calling out J. Edgar Hoover for wiretapping congressmen and all this types of sorts. And that all got exposed in 74. Well, Hale Boggs died six months later in an airplane crash over Alaska. Do you know who drove fucking Hale Boggs to the airport? Go on. A 23-year-old Bill Clinton. Wow. Isn't that fucking nuts? Or I'm like, why is he over here? Now? Like he's this is like his start. He's a fresh-faced kid, but I thought he was like groomed into that position. I mean, why would he be sending this representative? Just a coincidence, Robbie. Dude, the don't, number of don't think about it. <laughs> That's fair. I think um I think there's probably a mix. I think some people will be groomed. Um, because you just look at I mean, take the Kennedy dynasty for example. We all both our countries have political dynasties. 
um, were, were people who have familial ties to powerful people in the past, uh, which obviously gives them a leg up. Uh, but some people will get there, they'll be, and some people will be spotted from a young age. And again, there'll be certain, when you go to certain universities like Oxford and Cambridge, or uh, what's the big one? Is it Wash- Georgetown University, Washington? Georgetown University is a giant, like, I mean, esteemed academics on there that have written some very controversial work. Yeah, I think that's Spook I've got something in the back of my mind that Georgetown is Spook Central. Well, the CIA heavily involved Ooh, in Georgetown. I think Harvard and Yale are definitely two. Definitely um, Harvard and Yale. And again, Harvard and Yale are connected to Skull and Bones. Yeah, they also do a lot of work with the CIA on their college campuses looking for recruits. And things like that. Yeah, so, I mean, there'll be operatives in these universities willing sometimes unwilling they might even not they might not even know that they're they're unwitting assets for intelligence services and they'll they'll see young fresh-faced 18 year old kids come in and and some kids will be picked and they'll be recruited to do certain things and again a lot of it's not necessarily knowingly they'll just be sort of channeled into a certain area I had an author on here who wrote Spy Schools, which she was talking about some of the strategic stuff that goes on on these college campuses. I've had probably four different conversations about CIA on college campuses. Now, it's real simple. Hey, you're studying foreign relations. You're going to be going over to China on this trip. We just have a real quick question. When you get when you go over there, it could be possible if you could do this and we'll be able to help you out with a certain thing like this. And it's usually a small favor, something not super big, but that's how they get you. Then eventually they just start going back and forth. The next thing you know, they got something over you, and then they use that to their benefit. The issue is is that where I have a problem with this is if they get caught doing that over there and they need help, the government goes, sorry, we cannot have anything to do with you, or you're going to mess up a bunch of stuff. So then they just leave that person and ghost them, and that person – like Vern Lyon, who was an ex-CIA officer who wrote a who wrote a book on it, memoir on it. Um, he was like, I mean, he worked for Castro and everything under the CIA. Uh, his story is heartbreaking. He spent 40-something years in prison, and then this, he gets released, and no explanation why, just like, you're free to go. And you can look up his Law Justica profile. It's so heartbreaking because that guy literally spent all those years in prison for literally in nothing. In prison now, in Cuba. He was running, he was deemed by the intelligence agency as a threat to national security because he was under a project. They basically ghosted him, but they kind of flipped on him, ended up saying, we need to find this guy. He ended up going up from Cuba to, I think, Canada. And then from Canada, he got was on his way back to the United States and then can't or Canada took him back and then they got something out of it. You can read up his book and his Law Justica profile. It literally says he was spent 46 years and not was it 46 years? I think 40 something years in there. And then he was just released with no say as to why. Um, all over one thing. He was in uh like he was in going to college and it's where they recruited him. Um, he did help him out for a couple of months. He would, I mean, he went into specific stuff. It's like non-cool shit. You know what I mean? Like it's if you're going to lie about it, you would expect to be like James Bond style. It was not like this at all. It was so basic and so, but everything was super detailed. He said every, uh, every, you know, week or so, I would meet with this person in the cafeteria at the college campus with a newspaper. And within this newspaper, they had this little chip that you would put on a window and it would listen into conversations. And you would put that little thing in there and hand it to this guy. He would hand me yesterday's newspaper. And then I would repeat the whole process every week. And um, so he got, it was, I think, I don't remember what was going on, but he there was an air wherever he lived at there was a bombing at an airport 
and immediately cops pulled him off campus went back to his dorm opened up his thing and he was studying rocket engineering that's what he wanted to go to college i guess what he was going to college for is what he wanted to do and he had little tiny sticks of dynamite for his model space shuttle that he was creating and they used that against him and literally that's what he went to jail for for 40 something years and he was like you guys he kept calling when he was in cuba working for castro he kept calling them did you guys clear that for me did you guys clear that for me did you guys clear that for me and they they literally just kept putting them, we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it. They wanted him to get his stuff done with Castro, which was just sabotaging his um Castro's uh projects that were going on. Nothing super big, just Castro was trying to make it rain in Cuba. Um and there was Weather a bunch modification. of modification. Yes, That's in vogue as well. There was a bunch of um interesting like scientists on that project who were trying to put dry ice in clouds to try and start up rain or something like that. But it would just be like, hey, you would go to this farm. And then once I went to this farm, it was where some of the projects were being done. And I would put like air in their gas bubbles or something like that, something small that would mess up the whole machine and delay the process of it. That's all he did. But then Castro found out and killed his whole crew. And he ended up trying to escape. And then it's, it's like I said, it's a long story. He'd have to explain it to you or you'd have to look at the episode. But that's an issue because you they left him and they called him an enemy of the state. And he lost his wife. He lost a bunch of stuff. Like she ended up like he doesn't know what happened to his first wife or anything like that. So it must be difficult once you're on the hook, once you take that first step into a relationship with the intelligence agencies, because, yeah, I mean, you can't trust them as far as you could throw them. They'll they'll flip on a dime if it's if it's if it meets their interests. You're you have RFK Junior's book behind you. I do, yeah. He just emailed me a couple of days ago. Oh, did he? Is he, he coming on the show? No, he 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 likes a bigger platform to do his. And all he wants to talk about is yeah. COVID. I don't want to talk about COVID. I want to talk about um JFK and all that. So it's a good book. I'm sure it is. I haven't it's read it. It's a good book. I don't think he re- wrote it. <laughs> I, no, he definitely didn't. <laughs> He compiled it with a bunch of uh, – if you look at – I think Andrew Huff or one of those names is involved in there on the cover of the book. I've literally talked to everyone he's made books with, but I haven't talked to him. But he sent me an email because I had a couple questions about the JFK stuff, and he was just giving me some advice on some things. Oh, well, cool. Yeah. Uh, again, um, what, do, what do you think his chances are? I mean he might Next have – I don't think he's going to be killed or anything. I just think he's going to um... – <laughs> <laughs> I, everyone keeps saying that who like is a everyone in the JFK community is supporting him. And I'm like, look, I just don't, I don't know. I don't buy the whole Camelot JFK thing that everyone buys. Um, I think they're they're I think they were good people and they were doing good, but I just don't believe everybody's perfect. Sorry. When people start bringing up this ideal perspective of someone, I have more likely thoughts to question what that ideal perspective is. Like, I don't think anybody's hundred percent bad or hundred percent good. I think it's depending on, who they're interacting with and what type of type of day they are. But from all accounts, I've heard that uh, JFK and all them were okay and nice people. I've heard about the scandals, but also I'd like to see more evidence on it because some of those are a little bit out there to believe. Mm. I mean, uh, going to the sort of looking forward to the election, uh, th- there isn't much competition for RFK, is there, from the Democrats? Not that I've seen. I've other than... been propping him back up. Yeah, no, but I mean, surely his family just said that. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to have him run again. I was like, you guys fucking suck. <laughs> How dare you do that? He's like, imagine being the president and not being able to know that you're president. That's what he's in. Imagine being the president and being older than Bill Clinton. I know, but imagine being the most powerful man in the world, not even being able to enjoy it. 
You're just sniffing kids he, and trying to figure he, out what type of thing. <laughs> he, he is enjoying it. He spent 40% of his term on vacation. That's a good deal, that. I mean, I don't know what the salary is. Is it about 300 grand a year? 350 grand a year? Something he doesn't like even that know he's on vacation. Oh, he's, he's going away. Um, he's away this week. I think he's just away. He's been away this week, and he's going away again on Friday, I think, for a long weekend. I think he's loving it. I love the. I like. I, I like the way he falls. It. I like the way he falls over. I like. I like seeing him fall. Fall on escalators and fall off his bike. And I just he don't know over why a, we're not acknowledging it. Why is everyone's just not acknowledging it? They're just kind of like, oh, he's fine. He's doing. He's the best shape he's ever been. I was like, are we sure about that? I do not want to see what he was like before. Because it's it's the political dualism. It's it's our team. It's the it's Man United, Man City, Apple, PC. Uh, blue team, red team. People, it's the cognitive dissonance. They can't acknowledge that the guy's barely there because they voted for him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they, that's true. And, they, and they don't want the other side. To, they don't want the other team. Our team has to win. It doesn't matter if that's he's seen. That's so out. stupid for a country in its development. Because this starts from child childhood. You know, you're propagandized into believing in this system. I mean, it's even worse because, I mean, it's a proper two-party system in your country. And, you know, it generally is over here, but sometimes there are third parties who get some traction and, and change things. But, I mean, it's, it's all a fucking sham. But, I mean, uh, Kamala's not, it's, Kamala can't run. Can, Kamala can't run if Biden's running, can she? That would split. Would that split them? Yeah, I think if he ends up not going up again, or I think they're going to probably check the poll votes and see how much percentage wants Biden to run. I mean, we know that if it's not going well, the DNC will just rig it for the candidate they want anyway, won't they? Like yeah. they screwed Bernie. Then the Bernie bros. They totally screwed him over last time, didn't they? It was at the time before. I don't know. But I'll be, be interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. Um, I mean, if it, I kind of hope it's Trump-Biden. Because it's great for material for the podcast. Because whoever wins, you know, it doesn't matter who wins. We'll have loads of great material, loads of sound bites. What about the, of... the whoever's leading the dynasty down where you're at? <coughs> who? Rishi Sunak? I don't know. Whoever didn't, the queen passed away. So didn't you guys have a person that's in charge now? Yeah, we've got King Sausage Fingers now. Who's Sausage King, Fingers? King Charles III. King Charles. Is no, that the I'm nice one who dates Megan? No, that's Harry. Oh. He's he's been ostracized. He's not in the game anymore. What? No, yeah, he's not allowed. I think he's had to give up his title and, and whatnot. Damn, they 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 freaking casted him out. No, no, we've got King Charles, Lady Diana's husband. Oh shit. King Charles. Damn, he's still King alive? Charles. Yeah, barely. Yeah, he's he's in his mid seventies. He doesn't look very well. He has very swollen sausage like fingers. You know, it's like probably gout or something like, like that. Like brats? Like he's got brat fingers? Br proper, proper giant. Yeah, they, they just look like pork sausages. Like where the nail barely shows on the finger? Yeah, you can you barely see it. Yeah, so we've got him for how, how you know. Handshake, though. <laughs> God damn, is that a sausage biscuit? Oh, he, he was trying to sign like his paperwork to and become the pen king. Just exploded. It, <laughs> the, he couldn't pick the, he could barely pick the pen up. He couldn't get the lid back on. Because his fingers are so fucked. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a joke, really. But, I mean, they don't really have any power, the royals, in our country. It's more ceremonial, symbolic than anything.
when that family goes away, like when do they stop? Just keep, I know the family, if they keep breeding, obviously keeps on going, but I'm just curious if they're ever going to be like, all right, the cutoff was with the, the older ones. Now we're just going to be like the younger ones. We're just going to call you normal people. Now you have to reiterate back into society. It's so well established that I can't see it dying out anytime soon. The Royal family. I think there's too many people. I mean, you know, maybe 50 years, something like that. If we have new younger generation in who, whose whose opinion is that you know we really don't need this monarchy and you know i'm a, i'm a i'm not a, a monarchist at all i'm a, sort of against the royal family i don't think any i don't believe in divine right that's where it where it stems from that the, these people this bloodline has a god-given right to uh to declare us um subjects and they're, they're the head of the country even if it is only ceremonial i think that's complete bullshit and uh, is there's no place for it in the 21st century. What's with the and people make people make um, practical arguments for it, and they think, well, think about the money that they bring in from tourism. You know that this is that people come to see this royal institution. The ends never justify the means. It's wrong, and we should get rid of it. I'm not saying we need to, you know, bring back Madame Guillotine like the French Revolution and off with the heads, but we shouldn't be paying for them to, to swan about on private jets. To visit the world and 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 people another practical argument argument people make is that it's a it's an example of the united kingdom's soft power it's part of our soft power our diplomatic power that we can send these dignitaries to other countries whether that be the olympic games opening ceremony or to some sort of uh, conference of uh, countries in sub-saharan africa and we can press the flesh and wield our influence through the royals no, sorry, no excuse. We we shouldn't be living by divine right in, in the year 2023. Stop making excuses for something that's fundamentally wrong. Fuck off. I agree. There's no justification for it. I just don't think we have any political systems or any spectacles, any of this type of shit. I just don't believe in anything anymore. No. Well, I say I, this, our podcast is turning me into an anarchist. I believe that. I see the hairs getting a little bit spikier every time. Yeah. I just, I can't, I struggle to justify any form of sort of democracy anymore or any form of government. I really struggle. Would you find prefer the blue pill again? <laughs> no, ignorance is bliss. No, I'd rather, I'd rather be uh, awake and cognizant. I'd rather I, I think uh, you live would, by the truth. You would flow more with society if you took the blue pill again. But since you've taken the red pill, you've kind of veered off. Like I noticed a I'm interested in a bunch of stuff kids my age are just not interested in, which really sucks. But whenever someone comes up and they go, hey, you like some of that conspiracy stuff, right? And I'm like, what conspiracy are we talking about? It's like JFK. I'm like, I'll fucking clock you out right now. Don't even say that to me right now. First of all, conspiracy is just saying that this was all orchestrated as some grandmaster plot. All I'm saying is, is that somebody did a shit job, and if you want to call that an investigation, the amount of documentation that was destroyed, the imagine – like so much that was going on. There's a really good interview of Gerald Custer um, that I put on my TikTok that was from my buddy Vince's channel, and he it's the autopsy doctor for JFK. And the guy asked him, a lot of strange people have died throughout the assassination under like mysterious circumstances did you do you have any fear or anything like that and he goes i'd be lying if i said no 
And they're like, what? And he was just like, he goes, look, I mean, look who's still around. The people that propped up that single bullet that a bullet could magically dance through two victims. And uh, he literally just started going into it. And to me, those interviews are always the most interesting. It's like when I saw Kerry Mullis, the guy who invented the PCR test, if you saw that interview of him where he's like in his house with a red shirt on, there, there's nothing there. There's no professional suits and tie, no bullshit. Just like, hey, come on into my house and let's do this interview. And then they're just asking legit questions, people that are generally just interested in trying to understand what the hell is going on and like what are your what's your take on this? Like I'm tired of that. Like so many people want scripted interviews now and all like I said in the beginning. I don't care for that. I want to see somebody that is just speaking their mind and reacting into the moment of the questions that are being asked. It's what you, it's more genuine and authentic. We already have too much bullshit, but now everyone's programmed to the bullshit. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, uh, we've often mentioned on our podcast that we'll, we'll mention someone and, uh, and someone will say, oh yeah, that would be a good guest. And I'll say, Robbie's already, Robbie's had him. Robbie's got him. And you seem to have a very good hit rate for getting your guests. And it made me who? wonder, you. No, I mean, who, who who um was the guest? Oh, I can't remember. It's been it happened several times. Okay. Well, it was something some someone will come up in conversation or a, another a guest who we have will mention a researcher or author or whatever. And I'll go, Yeah, Robbie's had him. Robbie's had him. And it made me think that maybe one of the things that puts people off our show is that it's live. Do you get? Uh, do you ever get people asking you to um, either scrap the interview or edit it after you've finished? Not too much. Um, some people get nervous when it comes to like if they pause or something like that without the scripted or the questions and stuff like that. The only issue I've had is that there's one person involved in the RFK assassination, which I've been recently getting interested in. Um, he was the one who got all his photos taken. He was a 14 year old kid taking photos. And everyone mentions them, every single researcher. And then I talk to him on the phone and I don't even know if I should say this on air, but yo, he flipped his script. He is not conspiracy at all anymore. And he's done hundreds and hours of interviews of saying how there's a conspiracy and all this crap that happened. And when I talked to him, he was like, I'm not, they all took me out of context. They all did this. I was like, how it was a live inter. It was literally a interview where they recorded the whole six hours of it. And you just went into it. There's no way that they edited out all the bullshit. That seemed like the whole day they spent at your house. And I just feel like he's he, since his new book, I think, coming out is about um, the opposite thing of it. But the main thing he asked me was like, is it so if it's pre-recorded, that means if I have any final things I want to like change out or anything like that. And when someone says that, it's a no go for me. Because that means you're not going to be authentic. You're not going to be authentic with me. You're just going to want certain things. It ends up like even with a debate. I've gotten in a debate rare early on my show with like a someone who would be on the very activist side of things, and she kept mentioning a, a bunch of stuff, and I was like, none of this answers the true question of like anything that I'm saying. But okay. activist in in what area? Just like I don't know. She the type she ha the type she was was like. You know, very Nancy Drew haircut style with really Harry Potter glasses and real quick to throw paint on you if you said something wrong. That's who it was. But there's nothing wrong with that. I would probably swing more left than I did before because of the JFK stuff. Um, I've become more probably liberal in some ideas of things, but I've always stood the ground of I don't give a shit if you're gay or trans or any of that. And I guess the way I wasn't forming my words properly, it's possibly because of my ADHD it kind of comes off wrong or it comes off rude like I just had this guy telling me he was like 
I was like, do you have any links you would like to promote? And he goes, yeah, I can just promote my email. It's this, this, this at yahoo.com. And then um, he goes, and the number of emails, like 887 emails in the past two days. I was like, oh, God, it's just give me a break. And I go, well, stop giving your email out. And then he just like looked at me and I was like, I guess I probably shouldn't have. It was an outburst. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and um, uh, <laughs> he didn't take it that way. But back to the guest in the beginning, afterwards, she had compared something to the Black Lives Matter movement. This It was that long ago was when this was all going on. Um, and she compared something to that to try and prove a point, And she thought it was insensitive and wanted to edit it out. I was like, why? Because it made you look like a fucking idiot. And I was like, but I, but I was nice about it. I said, sure, I'll edit it out for you. And I sent it to her. I mean, it made me probably look like I was then adding on to something that didn't make any sense. But I mean, everyone wants to debate now. And I'm like, that's not even the point of this. I think the whole point of this is just to have conversation. You're not going to understand or agree probably. I don't agree with most of my guests, but I want to hear your perspective and I want to learn about it. Like, I don't think everything is systematically a racial issue. I think it's just people and positions of power that can abuse the shit out of it and take you out whether you're a problem or not now does it happen to certain ethnicities over others i'm sure but it can happen to anybody i mean look at the prison experiments that pharmaceutical companies have been doing for the longest time on people they they've been literally going to jails you can look up this this is a government document they have investigated this because it's such an issue there's been like an unspoken thing where wardens have taken ads or money from pharmaceutical companies so they can test their products out on the prisoners and that's yeah, like this it happens everywhere yeah there's a lot of that stuff you mentioned the fauci book uh, the real anthony fauci there's there's a lot of stuff in that regard on there and uh, some kerry mullis stuff as well if uh, people were interested but yeah, I'm not into debating. I don't really. But again, it's, it's it always comes back to politics, doesn't it? That's where the arguments seem to come from, and I think that's probably by design. But I, when a guest comes on our show, it's like I'm always on your side. I'm not interested in debating. I want to hear what you have to say, and I'll ask. I might ask probing questions or tricky questions, but it's sort of playing devil's advocate. I'm not. I'm not trying to gotcha anyone or make anyone look stupid. And people have asked, uh, we've been asked to do debate. Like someone asked us if we'd do a flat earth debate once where we get, we get flat. No, I don't know. That's why I didn't have flat earth Dave on because Flat Ah, Earth Dave. he literally said that he wants, he'll invite the, he'll host the zoom meeting and host the recording. And I was like, wait a minute. So then if I got you on something, would you edit that out? And then he was like, you're not going to get me though. And I was like, okay. But I was like, but if you're hosting it and it's my show, I'm basically just giving you a free platform to say whatever bullshit that I might not agree with though. And I just kind of went like, I'm not interested in it. It doesn't matter if it's going to get me views or not. I don't really give a shit about that. I care about trying to have a understand people's perspective and conversation on things. But if you bring up something and I have a question, you consider that a problem. If that gets edited out, I'd be pissed. Yeah. That would be the only reason for doing it is for, for clicks. And uh, I'm not interested in that. It's same with uh, like when you're picking your guests. Uh, I, I've turned down guests with bigger audiences than maybe we would usually have. And it's not because I don't like them or anything, but it, it wouldn't fit with what we sort of do. So, it, you know, the motivation would be wrong. It would be, oh, I just want to talk to you because of the size of your audience or that I might get some extra exposure or you know for reasons like that and that's you know i'm not not really into that it's like um talking i was talking about this yesterday on our we have like a private server 
where people can it's like a chat room like discord but it's... i comment all the time trying to make sure to get you to uh smile or something oh no it's it's this is uh it's called element you're not in, you're not in there oh no i meant just on the live videos oh on the live videos now we used to have a discord but it got nuked uh, about a year ago so we started this other thing called element which is on seems to be unsinkable and um i was we were chatting on there yesterday about um having more podcasters on and doing swap casts and things like that because this is seen as a one of the main strategies to grow your audience and it was like i was like i get bored of that i get bored of talking to other podcasters every week you know i, I like authors i like to talk to authors primarily uh, researchers on a, like a specific subject it's maybe not as it's probably not as open as your show where it's more free flowing conversation that can go anywhere you don't really, I, I don't get the impression that you go into podcasts with a particular uh, like subject in mind of what you want to talk about. On the JFK stuff, right? I do. Yeah, I mean, if it's a specific, well, that's what I mean. If you're talking to an author who's written a book about JFK, then that's obviously what you want to ask him about because that's what he spent 10,000 hours researching. No, but most of the people I reach out to, yeah, they have. there's a particular subject. It just we don't have any guidelines about like this is the specifics of where the subject's going to go. Like the thing I mentioned about robots and all that, she the guest I had on was 19th century German literatures talk about robots, non-humans, and AI, and we we talked about it. And I just asked her some questions that I feel like you know you can answer from like a personal perspective, which is, do you think like the normalization of the soul? Why do we just brand things with the soul thing? And she was an academic and kind of gave me more of an academic response, which is fine. But then I find academics who were studying MK Ultra was the one I had a couple of days ago. Um, he studied. Uh, you and Cameron, the the Canadian side, where this guy was putting horrible hallucinogenics in people's drinks and auditory, um, like noise canceling headphones on them, I stuff. I mean, to the point people pissed themselves. A bunch of horrible shit that was going on, and the dude never questioned once where his money was coming from. Never, and the, he was like, the university was getting the money from somewhere. Where was the university getting it from? Well, it was a CIA subsidy that kept funding the money through the university. That was was that David Wheatley? Was it Wheaton? David Harper. Was it David Harper? Yeah. I'm sure I listened to the, that one. The, no, the one you listened to was the John Lennon one, which has got 100,000 views on TikTok, which is fucking nuts. Oh, wow. Ace. I don't know why that trended for some reason. Cool. But it, yeah, was, a, it was a good breakdown. I'm following that guy on uh, on Twitter now. It was really interesting, that one. I'd, I'd never heard, never looked at all into the John Lennon assassination. I knew nothing other than it was Mark Chapman and it was in New York. <laughs> at the place that he was staying, the apartment complex, whatever it was. Now he's and done really thorough work. I've listened to it a couple of times. It's very broken down, but he also is on other shows. He's broken it down the same way, but it's, he's putting a log out there as well, too. I mean, if you can get enough people to understand that there's something more that you can question here. My interest is that MK Ultra shit, because I've had like five guests on about that so far, and it's so hard to find more about it because all the documentation was destroyed on it, except some receipts that were found in a warehouse. But that goes into so much like that's involved in the Kennedy assassination. It's involved in Manson. It's involved in Mark David Chapman. It's involved in Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bomber. It's involved in the assassination plots on Castro. It's involved in so much. RFK senior. It actually could be involved with RFK. Oh, Sirhan, Sirhan, wasn't it? Yeah, they think the dress was a trigger, but we don't really have any evidence on if that could be possible. Yeah. Do you think they're still doing stuff like that today? 
I'm sure they probably have it narrowed down to a science. Even David Harper, when he was explaining MK Ultra, he said that during 9-11 when they were doing torture, what you would call torture, but it would really trying to get answers from people that they had captured. Oh, enhanced um, interrogation techniques. Yeah, so they changed the terms of it, though, during the Obama administration. It's just it, it, unethical, uh, unethical torture would be torture is ethical but unethical signs of it would be anything that leads to organ failure so everything that is an organ failure is fine so that's like some issues where that stuff still continues i mean they learned how to use certain drugs to get people to tell the truth yeah there's a story about the three degrees of torture from uh i think it's from the 18th century maybe and uh the, the first degree of torture was thumb screws you know, they put your fingers in a, your thumbs in a tube and it's got a nut above each thumbnail and they tighten the nut gradually until your thumbnail explodes. And then the second degree, they would tie you to a ladder. They would take your shirt off and tie you to, your, to a ladder with your arms above your head and they would light a candle under your side, round your armpit and just leave it there to do its work. And then the third degree of torture, they would tie your hands behind your back and then take a rope from your wrists behind your back and lash it over a beam on the ceiling and then pull on the rope so you'd be lifted up by your arms behind your back until they dislocated. And then sometimes there would be a guy lift you up from the floor via the rope and then another guy would swing from your legs just to make sure. And the best thing is, is that if you survived the three degrees of torture, you were innocent if you didn't confess. Dumbest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, there was a yeah, there was a big thing during uh, Obama administration. I, m I remember extraordinary rendition was the term where the U.S. would would fly people from other countries to sites that were were the U.S. were the U.S. soil in other countries. Like I think they had one in Poland. They had uh, Guantanamo. They had them all over the world, didn't they? Where, they? where the CIA would get away with these tactics, it would seem. Technically, we have a Nuremberg code that you're not supposed to be doing any of this type of shit that it seems like we're breaking. But actually, legally, we're not breaking it at all because the Nuremberg code was only for the Nazis. I found this out. <laughs> this, this, I swear to you, I found this out. From the guy I told you about, where about the pharmaceutical companies and the corporations, like the prisons that were doing all that going on. One of the guys was a New York Post writer, and he, I had him on my show. He wrote a book called Acres of Skin. I would recommend him to you. He's a great breakdown of this stuff. Literally, they were taking skin off prisoners' backs, pharmaceutical companies, and then spraying the debt, the skin that they cut off and seeing if it would corrode the skin. That's how they were testing these products. And um, he mentioned it to me. He goes, what a lot of people don't realize is that when they did the Nuremberg trials, the Nuremberg code that every other country decided that this was the standard of not breaking an unethical torture, the United States isn't technically breaking any rules because if everyone looks at the details of that contract, it only meant that it applied to the Nazis. It didn't meant it applied to anybody else. So technically, it's legal speak. It's like when you read a document, a government document, here's a good example. It's my little theory. I don't have, I, all I have is the documents to be able to show you that this is what I think this means. But there's a, in the Kennedy assassination, they talk about that there's a secret service member or a person flashing secret service credentials on the knoll. Everyone says that it's like a common thing that's out there. The secret service stated we had nobody up on that knoll. 
So that means someone was impersonating a secret service person. Well, if you read the CIA's like like their kind of introductory book, their like document, it literally says that at any time that the secret service needs assistance in doing their job of protecting the president, the CIA can offer certain individuals to be able to help the secret service out if they request it. So were they saying that there was a secret service member up there? Were they lying when they said there wasn't? No, but it could have been a CIA person with secret service credentials. That's the legal speak. You're not, they're not lying to you when they say that, which people would assume. They're just finding another workaround. You got to ask the right questions. And that's kind of like the thing where it's like, and it's again, Oswald was a threat for four years when he came back here. And or he was a threat when he went over to Russia, but he was also when he came back. They dropped it the week of the assassination. All threats have to be alerted to the Secret Service. Why did they not? Why did they drop it the week of? So they, that's that's the reason why the Secret Service wasn't alerted. It was a threat, right? So does that threat mean they were monitoring him actively up for until up to the week four before? years? For up to four years, they were watching his mail. They were doing all that type of stuff. They were going through everything. They had the rifle orders and everything. They knew he ordered a rifle. Long before, um, obviously, the assassination happened. Was um, he living in Dallas at the time? He was, and he was moving to New Orleans at the time as well, too. Right. So that's a hell of a coincidence. There's though. definitely some. Someone was giving him orders to do something. Now I don't know what those things are, but from what I've learned of the JFK stuff, I just think, obviously, I think there was definitely a second shooter. Um, but obviously I'm not too obsessed with the who and the why I think, um, I had an academic on here who studies covert operations and he said, there's, I asked him if he believed conspiracy in the Kennedy assassination. He goes, the conspiracy is not whether one exists or not. The conspiracy is evidences in the cover up. Why were they covering up so much? They lied about a 201 file on Oswald. They destroyed autopsy notes. They did a bunch of things. So whether they were part of it and they all just kept it making it, I believe they made it up as they went along. They kept going and adding and trying to keep this lie intact for as long as they possibly could. Um, I just don't know to the extent, like even the suspicious deaths of the witnesses, I have no idea how that could all happen. I mean, a throat shop is Jim Cothey while he was stepping out of his shower. So throat what a karate chop we talked about it on the last time you were on but i wasn't too familiar with the multiple names of it but yeah a neck chop was jim cothey while stepping out of his shower uh remember i think we talked about a dude was shot in his yard um yeah, i remember that mistaken one. for a deer um yeah <laughs> and then you, you get into the weird stuff with like james angleton who was the cia uh director at the time um so there's, I think it's Dorothy Kilgallen is the reporter who was writing a story about Jack Ruby. And to her neighbor, she said that I have a story on the JFK assassination that when it comes out, it's going to change everything. And then she was found dead in her apartment with her re with her book, her book that she already read on her chest. No, no signs of a break in anything like that. And her reading glasses were in the other room. So she just decided that today she had good vision enough to read her book. And someone visited her apartment and happened to take her diary, and that's James Angleton. And we know that because in the interview with James Angleton, I think a couple months later, he was reading excerpts out of her diary. So it's like, how the fuck did he get her diary? Then you got Mary Meyer. Mary Meyer was jogging in a park and got shot, and then all, nobody saw the shot, but they found an African-American person who was soaking wet, um, and they said, oh, you did it, and they arrested him. Um, I think later he was cleared of his charges. Um, 
but he said that he got, he was drinking and fishing and he jumped in the water cause he dropped his fishing pole. And that's why, and then he heard a gunshot and ran over and saw this girl bleeding out of the ground. Now, Mary Meyer is one of the people that was sleeping with JFK and they took LSD together. Her friend was Timothy Leary. So she happened to, <laughs> she happened to introduce JFK to LSD for the first time. Her name is in the white house on, on the, in the white house. It's on the locks. Um, they have, uh, some of the names of JFK's, uh, women that were at the white house and yeah it's on the locks there it's like a thing we do over here for some reason but guess who broke into her art studio that night and her sister found him james angleton so that guy broke into two people's places and took their diaries why was it to cover up the president's uh any information on the president that could be true but it's still fucking weird what was his role or job description was he just a box standard cia operative he was a CIA director. He was the one that was oh, director. Yeah, looking for um, like he was in charge of like the Minsk program, the one, the fake defector program. That would have been Angleton's project. Right. So he was involved in like a bunch of stuff. Like um, he had dead drops everywhere that he would leave information for certain people. Eventually, he got so paranoid because uh, he was constantly looking for spies in his own midst. But it turns out, um, I think even from the this comes from the UK uh, when I spoke to uh, Nigel West, I think his name is. Um, he's an author of the UK studies intelligence services. Some of Angleton's closest aides happened to be Russian spies, and he didn't even know that they were right beside him the whole time. That just shows how good he was as a director. But <laughs> there's a bunch of like I said, that's a more iffy ground. I don't know a whole lot more in depth about, but Angleton has popped up. In multiple things, which thinks that he was could have been like um his cutout, uh Lee Harvey Oswald's cutout, kind of giving him orders. I hate to do this, Robbie. Can I can we take a quick comfort break? Yeah. On the JFK. Sorry. Do you think you're ever going to be satisfied on the JFK score? Do you think they'll come you'll come to a point where you think, now I'm convinced this is what happened, X, Y, or Z, whatever it will no, be. I don't and I can move will. on. <laughs> Nobody will be. No, I think everyone is in agreement. I know so many people that are like, we know the people who did it. I was like, who? They're like the CIA. I was like, give me specific names. I'm in that boat now. Um, before I wasn't, I would have been like the CIA rogue elements, but you got to get the specific names. And I don't think you're ever going to get those at all either. I think there's a lot of people that took secrets to the grave. Um, I just got interested in the RFK assassination, which is a little bit more clear cut to me, um, mostly because it's definitely Chicago police fuck up. Or not Chicago, uh, LAPD's mess up. I mean, they destroyed so much evidence for no explanation as why. So. Yeah, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the uh, the intelligence agencies, I guess. It's it. like... Um, Throat shot, it's a, please. It's that, that term, deep state, has become... Um, it's become tarnished, doesn't it? And it get it get it gets lumped in with conspiracy theory and other such terms. If you mention deep state, you're pigeonholed into a certain uh, perspective that I you must have a certain worldview. I will say this to you, which is just hearsay; it wouldn't last in a court. Um, but the guy I mentioned about the email thing, he it's 1470s. The episode, really nice guy. He interviewed Jesse Curry, who was the Dallas police um, officer at the time of the Kennedy assassination. So he was in the interrogation room. He got to stand in there in the interrogation room on Oswald's second time in the interrogation room. So this guy told me he was 20 years old, found this guy up in the phone book, called him up, asked if he can get interview him about the Kennedy assassination and his work on that. At this time, Jesse Curry was probably in his 70s. Um, he went over to Jesse Curry's house. He goes, do you think Oswald did it? Guy told him to turn his tape recorder off. 
dude turns his tape recorder off and goes, okay. And he goes, when I was, in, I got to sat in there when Oswald was on his second interrogation and they asked him, they said, where were you? Were you on the second floor, the first floor? Cause there's different theories. If he was on the second floor with the Coke is the official story. Another one is that he might've been on the first floor and he might've been on the steps. It's that's more controversial take. Now, this is exactly from what he heard from Jesse Curry, which I think is just interesting. And like I said, I get goosebumps talking about it. Um, but he said that when they asked Oswald what he where he was and what he was doing, he said he was on the second floor. And you could tell because there was two African-American women there. I think he got women mistaken. There were two African gentlemen there, not women. So I think that's his memory slipping a little bit. The guy was 70 when I talked to him or maybe older than that. Um, but he he mentioned that. And. He goes, I was there because there were two African-American people there that saw me there, and you can go talk to them. They go and find those two people. The two people said, we never saw him there. And then they come back into the interrogation room with Oswald, and they said, those people never saw you there. Oswald stood up, looked over at him, and said, how would how would they know? Or no, no, he, he said, how would I know that they were there if I wasn't there? Everyone else was watching the parade. And Jesse Curry said to the guy I interviewed and said, at that moment, I had doubts. And to wow. me, that was just interesting because it makes sense. How would he know that there were two of, if he wasn't there himself? If he was on the sixth floor or wherever, how would he know that they were there? But he could have been fed that information. From who? He got arrested anyone, immediately anyone. afterwards. That's the thing. Is that, that means, it, does that mean an accomplice? It, how would That means an accomplice, right? So that means it's not the lone assassin story. So either way, it's oh, yeah. still a conspiracy. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I don't. I have no doubt this this conspiracy involved, but you know, uh, I mean, he wasn't in solitary confinement from the moment he was arrested to that interview. You know, he was being fed meals. Anyone could have fed him information. He was in jail. Yeah, he was in jail. And actually, the guy I talked to, his main thing I had him on for was because he was got to really get close with Mer Margaret Oswald, Oswald's mother. He got to talk to her. Like, I mean, he spent i think a, a good amount of time like a year or so maybe maybe a little bit less uh getting to know her pretty well um like talking to her taking her out to lunch and things of that sort and she stated and this in this document he wasn't given to because robert webster which is not robert webster robert oswald lee's brother um when margaret died she left a note saying i want these files to be given to um john mancino the guy i talked to and when John called up to see about those files that he could get them, uh, Lee's brother said, you're not getting the files. And that's what he told me. He said, when I talked to him on the phone, he said, Robert wasn't conspiracy at all. He think his brother did it and he did not like his brother and he didn't like me at all either. And um, but when he talked to Margaret Oswald, she said that when she visited Lee in jail, he said, Lee, I came. They're saying that you're an intelligence person. Is this true? I mean, I've been shown documents like what, what's going on. And um, he says, Mom, everything's going to be OK. I'll handle this. Like, does that sound like someone that's just a crazy loan? And like I said, that's hearsay. You can't use that in court. You can't even use that as evidence. To me, it's just interesting as like an aside thing, because this guy has no reason to make up a story like that. He's not doing it for the attention. He was even hard to find. So it was like. To me, I don't know, it just adds more weight for me, which makes me kind of just question it a little bit more. I mean, the number of people and in interviews that are out there, people of all topsy doctors and people saying that 
no, this is this is not how this went. This was exactly like this. I'll repeat it for the hundredth time. They're just they're pissed at this point of trying to keep repeating it over and over again. And people telling them, that, well, the official narrative says this, so you might be mistaken. It's like, no, I know what I fucking saw. That was really interesting. Part of the the John Lennon episode you did was the difference between the official story and then the testimony from the the medical staff who were actually there talking about the the gunshot wounds and the entry and exit points and. It was like, gosh, I've never heard of any of this. This is incredible. Did it, but I can't remember. Did he mention any? Uh, he sort of, he, he sort of hinted at some potential motives, didn't he, for for assassinating Lenin? Like he raised the point that he was uh, sort of anti-religious, anti-capitalist, and he'd been out of the fray, anti, for a number of years. He hadn't released an album, I don't think, since about seventy-five, seventy-six, seventy-seven. And this was 1980, I think, wasn't it? And he had a new album coming out. It you just seems... It, you said what year was it? Was it was he killed in 1980, I think? Oh, I think it was 1980. I thought it was 78. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. I had it in my head that it was 1980, but it could have been... I just watched uh, Dewey Cox, where they had the Beatles in there. Dewey who? Dewey Cox, you ever see it? It's like, um, you ever see a movie... You ever see the movie Walk the Line? Uh, no, I know the one you mean though, the Johnny Cash one. Yeah, so it's like a parody of that, and there, uh, he's like basically he's, he's Dewey Cox is literally like a spinoff of Johnny Cash, and they kind of made fun of the movie a little bit. But he's in Indi- India with the Beatles, and Paul Rudd is John Lennon, uh, Jack Black is Paul McCartney, and um, <laughs> dude, he literally goes, um, I forgot what he was, goes, oh yeah, uh, Justin Long, if you know who Justin Long is. He's um, uh, the other Beatle, not Ringo, but the other one, the fourth one. He was um, in Dodgeball, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the skinny kid. That, yeah, so I forgot what it was. He was, he was George Harrison. Yeah, so that's exactly how he sounded like, too. And John Lennon, I forgot what he says, yes, Dewey Cox, because we are the Beatles. He goes, would you like to trip on some LSD? And then I forgot <laughs> I forgot what um, I forgot what he said. That was so fucking funny. But Oh God, I don't want to blank on it. No, Paul You're McCartney right. said something or something like that. He goes, "Let him do LSD if he wants to do LSD or something like that." Um, and he and then Ringo Starr says something, and Paul McCartney just goes, "Hey, Ringo, why don't you shut the fuck up?" <laughs> and it's just it's just random. It's Jack Black doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, but, um, you heard of Thomas the Tank Engine? Yeah. Do you know? Did you have Thomas the Tank Engine in the U.S. When I was a kid, I watched it. Right, well, in the, in the UK, you know, Ringo Starr was the narrator of Thomas the Tank Engine. No shit, really? He he narrated the whole series, yeah. I know I a lot a of people did not like Ringo. No, he gets a lot of flack. There was a famous in, uh, interview with the Beatles, and the interviewer says, uh, you know, so is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? And I think it's John says, best in the world. He's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he got a lot of flack. He wasn't the original drummer. It was Pete Best who was the original drummer. And there's a bit of conspiracy around uh, him as well. And, of course, you must have heard the Paul McCartney conspiracy. No. It's not the real Paul. Oh, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> I've not looked into it in any depth, but it's pretty interesting. that he was, uh, he was switched out. The real Paul McCartney was switched out in, like, 1967 or something. What? What would be the purpose of switching out Paul? <laughs> it was for shits and giggles, probably. 
Who knows? Who knows how these these uh, Illuminati minds work? <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> I'm trying to get this Dewey Cox scene up here because oh, I want you to fuck, see this. Right. I don't even know who Dewey Cox is. You gotta watch this movie, dude. It literally, I I was dying laughing at this. Oh, it's it can't be seven minutes long. I'm terrible. I don't watch any movies or TV at all. Pretty much, I don't watch anything. Okay, yeah, okay. I thought it was just this part. They had the the the. the they took acid and then this, they're in this cult cartoon trip, and he's like, "Just don't think bad thoughts, Dewey." And he goes, "Oh no!" And they go, "What?" And he goes, "I had a bad thought." And then all the flowers turn into middle fingers, and they start sticking up their middle fingers, and then he gets chopped in half with a machete. Oh, nice. <coughs> you have a you have a fuck with psychedelics, Robbie. I've never, and I never will. No, my, my buddy. What about when, your deathbed? What if it's you on your deathbed? My buddy actually give me. Or you, or you get term, termin, terminal cancer. You've got six months to live. Will you not try some? Give some me DMT? salvia when I'm on my deathbed because that shit is insane. I've had people discuss their trips on here before. One dude spent twenty years as paint on a barn. Oh right, it wasn't really. T- how long was it in reality? Twenty seconds. Right, but it felt like twenty years. Yes, that's wild, isn't it? I know. So that's time, what I'm saying. Give that to me on time my deathbed. dilation. I live. I live. Time dilation stories are mind blowing. What Rob started sharing screen. You're gonna play me a little clip here. Can you see it? It's, oh, I've just got blank screen. It'll pop up. My computer takes it's, its sweet ass time. Just, <laughs> oh, here it is. Dewey Cox Beatles. Right. Oh, they're in uh, Shangri La. Yeah, go on. When we begin to understand our role, we're nothing but grains of sand. That was freaking transcendental, Paul McCartney. Don't you agree, John Lennon? Yes, Dewey Cox. With meditation, there's no limit to what we can imagine. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to get some more songs on the album. You know. And as Ringo Starr, I'm not so interested in meditation. I just like to have fun. <laughs> I like the little one. <laughs> it's so dark in this tent, you know. It reminds me when we... The Beatles, the four Beatles, mm. us. From Liverpool. Yeah, we are from Liverpool. Liverpool. We used to play those dark clubs in Hamburg. Remember that, Paul? Of course I do. I booked them. I'm the leader of the Beatles. But I have to say, I like your stuff. It's pretty good, and uh, most of your records I really enjoy. Well, we're big fans of your records, too. We like to think that Hard Day's Night is our guiltiest charge. Great record. Excellent. Great record. <laughs> well, we're real big fans of y'all. Huge fans. You guys are almost as good as the monkeys. You guys are great. I think I might adjourn to another dimension and take some LSD. You care to join me? Yeah, let's do that. Care to join us for some LSD, do we? It's mm. good for you. Built by scientists, it is. Lysergic. <sighs> Gotta check with headquarters. Mom Dewey Cox, think you might enjoy it. Open up your mind to new experience, a new level of consciousness like we do, because we are the Beatles. Why don't you just let him decide if he wants to take LSD, he'll take it. He doesn't have to listen to you. You're not the boss of him. Don't tell me what to say and what not to say, Paul McCartney. I'm sick of you being so dark when I'm so impish and whimsical. I'm sick of it. Hey, everyone, I'm I've got a brand new mantra, hmm? Um, Paul's a big fat cunt. guitar. <laughs> 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 Quietly whimpers. Well, you are the quiet one, so why don't you shut the fuck up? I've got a song about an octopus. <laughs> Jam it up your ass. You're lucky we still ate to play drums. Mm. Wow. Seems like there's a rift happening between the Beatles. <laughs> I wonder if your songs will still be shit when I'm 64. Great song. No! Stop it! 
you stop please stop fighting here in India. He's let him go. Let him work it out. Right, right in the Oh gosh, adverts. Well, I didn't even know that film was a thing. Dude, it's so good. There's so many moments to it where it's got uh, so many. Jack Black's uh, impressions, not very good. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm not, not buying sure. that. Not, not buying that. Not uh, Paul, Paul Rudd did a good it. job. Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd was good. I'm John uh, Lennon. The, I like long... just, that's what we always say whenever like we're, we hear a good song or a good movie recommendation all of us now we just go great record great record <laughs> nobody knows what we're talking about like but me and my like small little friend group we have great <laughs> record. it's funny how some films are so quotable isn't it you can just pull a quote <laughs> you can pull a quote from a movie and everyone knows what you're talking about uh, a lot just, of arnie films are like that like total recall and predator he said i got a new mantra <laughs> pull the fat movie. cunt yeah i love that movie it's just too good i watched How that tropic it? thunder yesterday that was uh, was that robbie downey jr in in blackface again yeah tropic thunder no in that film you just played oh no no in Tropic Thunder, it was it was hilarious to me because I was showing someone at work who had never seen it before. It makes me feel like I'm getting old. I'm only 25, but there's a girl that came in. She was 19 years old, and um, she was a new person at work. And she, I was like, you ever see Tropic Thunder? She's like, no. I was like, what? I was like, you've never seen And I showed her the scene where, um, hey, Alpha, you got anybody in your love life? You, you know, I'm talking about someone special. And then he was like, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, tell, tell me your name. He goes, Lance. He goes, but you say, listen here, Lance, what the fuck did I just say? And he goes, I mean, Nance, Nance. I said Nance. He goes, no, no, no. Hey, man, everybody's gay once in a while. This is Hollywood. (laughs) And he says, when you made that song about, you know, beating up the pussy, were you thinking about dangling your dice on Lance's forehead? And I'm like, that movie is so fucking good. I just like Robert Downey Jr. ace performance. I mean, he would have got canceled if it came out today. But God, I was just damn. gonna say, I was just gonna say that that's a thing of the past. That wouldn't get made today, would it? It wouldn't get passed. That unrated version though is like, whoa, they did a lot more than I remember seeing in theaters. Because good God, when I watched that movie, that's fucking nuts. Uh, Tom Cruise is great in that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even but recognize yeah, it's, him for a minute. It's kind of sad in a way that, um, you know, uh, as people say, well, it's progress. We've progressed. Uh, is this progressive movement? Where, But I don't know. I, I wonder if it's actually re- regressive. People um, use the word, they, they, they hear the word progressive and they bring a moral connotation to the word. That must be something good. Aren't progressive they- is... Well, they're progressive is at... good and it's virtuous. Where in actual reality, the term progressive, all it means is to move forward. Well, they're it mad doesn't... at people mm. for saying certain words that they want them to stop saying because it's harmful. So they're banning words. And then isn't they they're mad at DeSantis for banning books. Or I'm like, you guys are both banning shit. So it's just like, why don't you guys just shut the fuck up? I don't know. I was like, I wish everyone would just like worry about themselves a little bit, but I get it. Look, I mean, I'm not against anybody whenever they want to do whatever they want to do, but I don't know. It, there's not, there's so much real things we should be talking about right now. That seems way more important than banning seagrass. Cause they find seagrass offensive. They did. They banned seagrass. 
What the? Is it a herb? I don't what know. is seagrass? It's, it's it's literally an ocean plant. Why they do they ban it? Call the word environmentalists say that we should rebrand the word seagrass because it is offensive because it grass has a bad connotation based on the history of marijuana. What? That was like be real. Yeah, it is. It was it was published. Not I just literally saw it. This was like a month ago. I saw this on uh, the TV. I was like, what the fuck? I was like it, on the news. I was like, is that real? And then I talked about it a while back, but it's just like when they rebranded shark attacks to mean dangerous encounters. I was like, first of all, no negative encounters. I was like, first of all, if I lose a fucking arm, I'm not calling that a negative encounter. You leave a <laughs> negative review at a hotel you stayed at and there was shit on the sheets. You know, this is like you lost your whole fucking left arm. Like, <laughs> Twitter's got a lot to answer for, I think. I wonder, I, I, I sometimes feel that the world would, would be much better without social media. Don't you mean X? Oh well, whatever. But did... lump them all in Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I, I think I, I wish. I sometimes wish they would all just get in the sea. In the sea. Do you not think life was like? I mean, you're a bit young. You're. You've, I've got 15 years on you. You probably don't remember much about life before social media. Do you? Not a whole lot. I mean, no. MySpace was like when I was in like elementary school. So. Wow, but MySpace was all about music. It wasn't, uh, there was no sort of news element to it. It was just for bands. It was for unsigned bands to promote the, the stuff and host a few music tracks. It, what I, you know, it, it was a, a very niche social media website because there was no mobile devices, by the way. That was all done on computer uh, or laptop. The iPhone didn't exist, I don't think, when MySpace came out. Or if, if, if so, it was... the days of the BlackBerry. Blackberry. I never had one of them. I remember Every having media a tiny manager key- on cocaine had them. That's what it was. A tiny keyboard. I remember you had a tiny keyboard. I remember wasting my dad's battery playing Brick Breaker the whole time. He was like, all right, can I have my phone? I got to make an important call. I'm like, it's at 2%. He's like, God damn it, Robbie. When I, when I was an apprentice, you used to get sent out with a roll of 10 Ps. Uh, what would you call them? Like a dime? A roll of dimes? It's for using in a telephone box. And you get you get you given your keys to your van, and a roll of ten p pences for the telephone box. Because I think there was maybe one or two engineers who had a mobile phone at that time, and it was like a fucking wind up thing. <laughs> I don't remember like, that. I usually go to the nurse's office and they'll call home, but I usually just go to the nurse's office and just be like, "Can I lay down?" They're like, "Sure." I'm like, "Sweet." It's weird. It's like my my eldest son is going to be twelve in a couple of months. And pretty much all of his peer group now have smartphones. And I'm sort of holding out, I'm holding out and holding out. And uh, it's it's a tricky one. I, You know, ideally, I wouldn't want my kids to have a smartphone until they're 18. This was a birthday gift. What, what's that? My last, it's an iPhone 13. My last one was all screen was completely shattered. I couldn't tell who was texting or calling me because I was like, I'm not getting a new phone. If anything, this phone breaks, I'm done with it. All I ever use it for is the social media thing. I wanted to stop paying my phone service. I wanted to do everything. I just don't care for it anymore. Honestly, the podcast burned me out from everything. Social <laughs> yeah. media, emails. I literally, at this point now, I think I got out of my usually i have like eight podcasts a day or something like that if i did on my recording days like mondays and fridays so on this this week coming up one i just got, got one i have no topics i want to talk about i have nothing i want to do i literally don't want to sit there and hear anybody anymore <laughs> i literally want to okay. shut off all sound and just go back to painting <laughs> that's it 
Yeah. Where, where do you stand on, on children and using her own in smartphones? It's up to the parents if they want to do whatever they want. To oh, do. Of course, it's up to but if you were the parent. If it was I your don't, kid. I mean, give my kid a phone if he wants a phone. Would you? Uh, what, For five, me personally, five years old? I, six? I, not probably five or six, maybe a little bit older to where they can actually, you know, once they start wondering what porn is, I'm like, oh, here's your phone. <laughs> good luck. But this is the painting I did. I think it's pretty good. You've done that? On, did you do that? Oh, is that a real painting? Yeah. Is that a uh, mid-journey? No, it's, a, it's finished, but the color's not showing up on this fucking thing. That's really good. How long have you been painting? Uh, I'm on and off on it. Well, I just, since a kid? When did you, know, you start? About a year ago. Wow. Do you watch just, that guy with the afro? Bob Ross, yeah. Him? I'll randomly be at, like watching at Bob Ross at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'll be like, so this is part of ADHD. It's called hyperfocus, which is like I get really interested in certain subjects, such as the JFK assassination, and then the only thing that matters is that. So then I will just get into like a painting thing where I'll start being like, I got to paint this, and I'll just run downstairs, and I'll start painting at 1 o'clock in the morning. And then next thing I know, you'll see when it, my like hyperfocus starts to fade out because I'll start like usually it's around like when I get close to the ending of a painting because then you'll start seeing it looks like shit. Like it'll go like everything looks ace, like 100% great work. And then I start getting to like the trees and the thing and you just see like it just looks sloppy and it looks like I stopped giving a shit. And it was like because my interest starts fading away and I'm like, damn, it's got to keep me hooked in or I won't be able to complete it. Like I'll do a whole song. Okay, I'll re-record, I'll record a song or something like that. Right at the ending, it sounds like I lost all my talent, like midway. And it's just because the hyper-focus is gone. It's where all my confidence comes out. It's where everything shows up to play. And then eventually, when I, when I get bored is when I, you can tell I'm like half in. It's like, it's like being in the conversation. You're 100% tune, in tune, nailing every single question, and there's a flow. And then it just seems like the person just pulls back from the conversation and stops caring. That's like that with hyper-focus. Do you play music then? Do you play an instrument? Uh, my whole family does, but I just recently been getting into it. Right, because I was going to ask you about the painting. How do you know when the paintings? Do you all, do you have a, a problem of knowing when the painting is finished, when to stop? Yeah, because I mean, I I hung them up all on my wall. I have like six different paintings on my wall. I usually give them to thrift stores, and then the thrift store sells it, and they make money that goes to the charity, and then someone has my art in their house. So that's cool for me. You know, so um, and then friends like people that usually tell me like my work is shit or something like that. They have some of my paintings hanging in their house because they actually really like some of them. So that's nice for me. But I usually um, I have since I'm cheap and I don't feel like buying more canvases. I'll like walk by one of my paintings I did that I have hung up and I'll go, I could redo this. And then I flick it off the wall, grab it and then run downstairs and dress the whole canvas in black or white or something and then just repaint a new idea like i was working on ocean waves for a little while and then um i got pretty good at that uh doing ocean waves but that one's a it's hard because it takes a while and for me like waiting for paint to dry isn't a concept so i'm like fuck i'll end up trying to add stuff to it and then really mess it up and i'm like oh god damn god we gotta start from scratch yeah i don't know if i'd have the patience you know for, for painting like that if you listen to some music or a podcast, I've listened to some of your live shows you guys do when I do some of the painting stuff, but then it's also hard because I like to look at it too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I I used to have this problem with music. If you're writing music or writing songs or anything, there comes a point where you have to say, right, it's finished now. You know, and it's where that point is because you can, you can twiddle and 
and um, change and alter and fiddle with artistic endeavor for the rest of your life. You could literally spend the rest of your life on a single painting trying to perfect it. Da Vinci did. Yeah. There, are, there has to be a point where you say, right, that's done. On to the next thing. It sounds like you're maybe going too far. And that lasts 10% of the time or whatever it is where you sort of lose, you come out of the flow or you lose concentration or lose patience. Maybe you need to stop earlier and say, ah, that's done now and move on. Yeah, but it's always like the top half's done and the bottom half is just white. So it's like there's nothing <laughs> at the bottom. All right. All right. I get you. Right. So it's like I have I to thought... finish that. Right. Can you not just cut the bottom half of the canvas off? Well, it, it, it literally, it literally, that's a good idea, but it literally, my brain just goes like, I have, I have all this, this is all fun and interesting. And then usually it's 75% or 65% towards the ending. It just goes, I don't want to do this anymore. And then that's when, like that does that with podcasts too. Towards the end of a podcast, I'll start kind of be like, all right, well, let's, let's see how like, you know, I can end this up. But that's like with everything. And it's just, that's just a bit of my personality coming out into that one. But um, I also have a perfectionist side, which is like, I want to keep trying to improve and improve and improve and improve and improve, which makes me fucking tedious over the shit I work on. I've re-recorded a song for three weeks now, even though I've shared it to many friends, but I got one four out of 10 even though everyone else was like eight out of 10, nine out of 10, but I got one four out of 10 and I was like, I got to make that fucking person happy. <laughs> what sort of genre is it? It's reggae recorded? music. Reggae. Which is like Be not my voice at all. Like I could probably sing more in the note range of like that song, how to save a life. I did that song and everyone's like, that sounds like it's the fucking singer. I was like, thank you, man. Will you send me some? Maybe. I like reggae. And my, uh, my eight year old is a massive Bob Marley fan. I've made that. It's a little bit more alternative. I even sent it to the singer, and the singer was like, dude, you got the tone. You got everything. You just need to go try and work on vocal lessons because you need to find your voice there. And I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of – I wouldn't say an impression, but I'll send you I'll send you it, and you can just give me your honest feedback. on. Yeah, I'll do that. I forgot we are recording. Do you want to end this because don't you have to go soon? Yeah, I've got to go in a few minutes, I'm afraid. What's like the longest podcast you've done, Robbie? Ooh. I mean, technically, the longest one I did was six hours long. So, whoa! But that was that was different recordings all in one. All oh, right, no, all oh, right. I see. It was the nine eleven episode. Right. That was that the round table. Was it a round table one? That. No, it was. Um, I'm thinking of something else. A bunch of my friends I had involved in. No, it's the COVID one. I'm thinking of. We had uh, fentanyl and some oh, other yeah. guys. Yeah. But, um, probably my longest one's like three hours long, maybe. Yeah, cracky. I don't know how, well, I do know how Rogan does it. He's getting paid like $300 million, but... I was about to say, we almost talked two hours. It's really easy when you... Yeah, yeah. Do you think he's going to stay with Spotify? I don't know. I've done, I haven't listened to him in a long time. I just listened to one of his more recent ones. I turned off after 10 minutes because he had like 20 different ads play within 20-minute intervals, and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, I pay for Spotify, so I think I just get an odd advert at the beginning, maybe. But I don't, I don't listen to many. It depends on the guest. I listened to the RFK one. That was quite interesting. I was upset they didn't talk about the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, the, the, so he hinted at it right at the end, didn't he? But well, obviously, he's, he's got to be in his bonnet over the pandemic, so that's what they were focusing well, on. Well, he's promoting hey. his book as well, too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. All right, where can people find you, Phil? Uh, TheArmySinquisition.com.
better. Or Twitter, social media, YouTube, everywhere. Okay. That's it. I'll link it in the description. I appreciate the time. It was a pleasure seeing you again, buddy. Um, thanks for wearing my shirt, even though I only see the top half of your head. I'm wearing it there. Old school, There's, there's Robbie there with laser beams coming out of his eyes. Ah. Let us know when it comes out, and I can, uh, I'll can i post some links on uh, Instagram and stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Proud of the link. Stay tuned for next episode.